What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of After the Game, a conversation with my dad, where we talk about all things sports and especially the post-jazz game. My name is Spencer. Hey, and this is Barry coming to you after another big jazz win tonight as they take a 2-0 lead in the second round against the Los Angeles Clippers. And as we said in game one, they played like champions in game two, they did it again. So a big win tonight for the Utah Jazz and uh, and the super victory. Before we get started in our family tonight, Spencer uh, is my second son out of four sons. Our fourth son, Spencer's brother Isaac, is a state champ in the state of Connecticut. His volleyball okay. team defeated Enfield tonight uh, 3-1 and clinched an undefeated season where they won roughly 80 sets to four. Wow. It was a dominating performance by the Darien Blue Wave. And Isaac was on the back line as a libero for his volleyball team. So they captured the region championship last week and then a state championship this week in undefeated fashion. So a big shout out to Isaac and his accomplishments as a state champion for the Darien Connecticut Blue Wave. Always big. Congrats, little bro. So with that said, as mentioned, the Jazz take a 2-0 lead against the Los Angeles Clippers with a a, uh, gutted out win tonight. It actually got too close for comfort. Who would have thunk that the Jazz would be up 21 in the third and then go down by two in the fourth? That's the type of game it was. Any thoughts, Spence? I was just going to say, it's always funny when you see the stats at the bottom of the at the bottom of the screen, if you're watching it on TV, where it says a team's like on a 26 to three run and they're still down. It's, it's, it's almost sad to see the jazz in this situation, be the team that almost blew a 20 point game, but it's, it kind of is a test. It kind of, it it tests to kind of how good they were playing at the beginning of the game, which is what we hope they would play. Like when we ended the podcast last time, is that they didn't start off great and they ended great. And so now we were hoping they would start good and still end good. And it seems like that's what they did. But the big takeaway, I was going to ask you a quick question. How many threes do you think the Jazz made tonight? Well, that's an, that's an easy question for me because it's part of our podcast, but they made 23-point shots tonight. And that's big because if you hit 17 threes, I don't know what the exact statistic is, but it's almost near 100% chance that that team will win. And so the Jazz went over that and they hit 23s, some big ones, some one, and what what makes these threes so much more unique is that they hit them at the times where it would slow down the Clippers or it'd give more momentum to the Jazz. Yeah, talking about three points, couldn't have said it any better. Listen, they hit 23s and the Clippers hit 11 and the Jazz win by six. So the reality is those nine extra three-point made shots by the Jazz are a huge factor in this game. They went up by 21. We've seen this before in the regular season. The Jazz, even though the game might turn out within 10, within six, they've done this consistently where they just get big leads and they're never out of a game. They're either a ways ahead and they have a cushion or they can shoot themselves back into a game like they did tonight. I want to be very clear. The next statement I'm going to make is not comparing the two because the Warriors won three NBA championships and you have to give it to them. They were somewhat a mini dynasty for a few years and could be again when Clay Thompson comes back. 
but the Jazz are warrior-esque because they're never out of a game. They either shoot their way way far ahead and have a cushion, or they're always a few threes away from reclaiming the lead. Another good point right there, and, and I like how you mentioned that they're able to shoot back into a game because it's it's clear to see what Jazz player – I think every Jazz player tonight was on – and we talked about Ingles kind of struggling the, in the past couple of games towards the end of the Memphis series. He even struggled, but he scored 19 points, had four rebounds, four assists, and a steal. And so he clearly was back to his old Ingles way. And what did you have to say about that? Offensively, he played really well. Defensively, he did great. We didn't have too many turnovers, which is always good to, to, to notice. But is, do you feel like Ingles is kind of back in his rhythm? Well, listen, you've now handed the ball to Ingles for two straight games with Conley on the bench. And it it took Joe that game to get going. And tonight he was a bit better. Quite frankly, I'm surprised he had 19. It wasn't a loud 19 to me, other than he walked into a three late in the game and maybe a couple of threes late in the game. He had one early that was big and one late. I'm, I'm surprised that he had 19 points, but he played a good game, one that we... Uh, come to know and love about Joe Ingles. So yes, 19 points is, is really solid. I, I, I really, really am wanting to see Conley get on this floor as the series yep. progresses. So hopefully he'll get back, but I'll take two wins in the series and I'll take Joe's uh, tenacity and his big game tonight. I'm looking at the stats right now. It looks like every jazz player, except for, I guess, favors and Yang, but they didn't really have too many shots, but every jazz player shot above 50%. So you got Mitchell shooting 51%. You got O'Neal shooting 50%. Bogdanovich 62, Gobert 80, and Ingle 70%. And so that kind of just shows the what how the how the game went is most of the shots we took. Obviously, Mitchell was on fire, 37 points, three rounds, four assists. And that came with 51% shooting. So they were smart shots. They were they were, I think there weren't very many blunders tonight, which is big, which means that we were making the right decisions, we were shooting the right shots, and we were getting the right looks and making them which goes even bigger. And then on defense, I don't know if you noticed dad, but it looked like, maybe I'm wrong and correct me if I am. It looked like Royce was guarding Kawhi at the beginning of the game. And then he switched to guarding George at the end of the game. Or maybe yeah, they the did. You know, that's exactly right. The jazz actually did that down the stretch or should I say in the fourth quarter of the last game, which I was a little uncomfortable with. We know Bogdanovich is a, good player. He's a great offensive player and a okay defensive player, but not great. And he was on Kawhi and I thought, well, that's not going to work, but he has a little bit of success against Kawhi. I think his size, I think his bulkiness, I think his length frustrates Kawhi just a touch. Now I say that and Kawhi will go off for 40 next game, Hmm. but we saw that. And and the, the beauty of that is now Royce is guarding Paul George, which is really frustrating Paul George. The, the reality is for Paul George, just to stick on him a little bit, he had 27 points, yep. 10 rebounds, and six assists. But again, eight for 18 from the field, not great. Two for six from three, not great. This is where he picks up his points as he did in game one. He was nine for nine from the free throw line. He's having an adequate series, if that's the right word to use, but he's not having a, a series that they need him to have as a superstar in the league to keep the Clippers above water against the Jazz. So sticking on the Clippers, I'm, I'm just curious because they've, they've been experimenting almost with us with their lineups because uh, Kennard last game had a crazy night 
and he scored a lot last game, but he only got 10 minutes tonight and only took one shot, which kind of surprised me because I felt like if he had such a good game last game, why didn't he just keep, keep him in the rotation? But he didn't really stay in the rotation. And then the Zubak kind of came out and they kind of put in Batum and they put in Cousins for a little bit. And, and what, what do you have to say about that is, are, do they not have kind of their game plan made up or do you think the Clippers are just hoping that George and Leonard kind of do their thing and, and throw in pieces when they can? Well, I think two things. Um, Tyron Lue's searching for answers. When you go down 21, you start to search a little bit as to what you can put on the floor and how you can stop that run. And quite frankly, Reggie Jackson had a game tonight, a great game. And even though he's a starter, he had a great game. Patrick Beverly played 21 minutes tonight. This is a guy who really didn't see the floor that much in the Mav series. He had 21 minutes tonight and did not produce that much, only three points. Here is one that I'm scratching my head. And maybe there are people out there in podcast land that are going to say, McMullen, you you don't know what you're talking about. But Rajon Wando didn't play a minute tonight. Mm. Not one minute. So you're right, Spencer. You've hit on something here. Tyron Lue and the Clippers are throwing things at the Jazz and trying to see what sticks. Really, the smartest thing that Tyron Lue did tonight, regardless of the manpower they had on the floor, when he was really hurting, he went to the zone and that stopped the flow of the jazz. Boom, like that. And they went on a 20, like you said, like a 26 to six run or even 26 to three. It was some unearthly run that the Clippers went on. But Rajon Rondo, maybe was hurt. I just don't know, did not play one minute tonight. And Patrick Beverly, who's hardly played quite frankly in the last few games, our series and the Mavs series played 21 minutes. But you got to hand it to him before I jump off of the Clippers and let you take the reins a little bit. 29 points by Reggie Jackson, 11 of 19 Mm. shooting, four of eight from the three-point line, and more than the stat line, just his hustle, his sheer desire to say, we are not going down without a fight. So I got to hand it to Reggie Jackson. I think he had 22 points or even 20 points in the second half. And that kind of just came with his passion and his drive to get his team back into it. And the momentum kept going towards the end of the game, which made it even closer. So he's definitely a player that you want. If you're all-stars or the people that you look to as leaders on the team are kind of a little bit sluggish, even though their stats are good, it always helps having maybe a third or fourth player that's just ready to just step up and just bring the passion. And that's kind of what he did. Um, the, The Clippers are a team filled with stars. Uh, these are guys, if you go back in their career from Rajon Rondo, even a Patrick Beverly when he was in Houston, Zubach when he was with the Crosstown rival Lakers, um, Reggie Jackson in Detroit. These are guys that have all been somewhat stars on previous teams. They are right. built to win a championship. And for all you Utah Jazz fans out there and possibly those who don't like the Clippers, this is pretty momentous that the Jazz have now put the Clippers on their heels down 2-0. They were down 2-0 against the Mavs, came back and won. I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult for them to be down 2-0 and come back and beat the Jazz. Who knows? I think they'll make it a series. This is still a great Clippers team, but uh, it just shows the moxie of the Jazz to hold on and uh, get a win tonight. Don't forget that the Clippers went down 2-0 against the Mavericks last series too, so they definitely can find the heart to bring them back into a series. So it'll be interesting for sure. Clarkson had a great night, 24 points, um, a couple assists. And that really helps because he shot 60% 
66% from three. So when Clarkson is shooting well, it, it's hard for a team to recover when they're expecting their bench to hold their line against, against um, our stars. And it also helps knowing that even if Conley's out, Clarkson can get more minutes. He, he got about 26 minutes tonight. He can provide us quality time and reliable time as well. Listen, the, the, the words you just said, even though it's time on the floor, I'm going to use it just a little bit differently. Clarkson was timely tonight. His three-point shots came at crucial mm. moments when the Jazz needed a lift, when they needed to push the lead a little bit further, when they were actually down, when the Clippers were getting it close. And let's, let's call it what it is. He had a three-point shot over Kennard, who had played great defense that yep. was banked it in. But you'll take it. Listen, every team's going to have a wacky shot during the game. And that was ours. Then he came back and stuck another three, I think, either the, the next time down the floor or shortly thereafter. His buckets were timely. But you're right. He had 27 minutes in play tonight. And he, he used every minute of that on both ends of the floor offensively as well as defensively. I've been really proud of Clarkson in this series and the defense that he's playing. Very true. I, I think – I think this, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, our threes came at the right time. You kind of felt the momentum start to pick up at the end of the first half when we hit almost a buzzer beater to kind of kind of put us up by, I think, 10 or so going into the second half. And that feels good, and it just keeps the momentum going. Um, one, one other takeaway, maybe you could talk about this a little bit more, but Favors, who had a great series against Memphis and had a great game last game against the Clippers, he didn't seem like he was at that level tonight. What, what do you think that was? Was it just him not – maybe they're figuring him out or he's just one of those nights? One thing that I've noticed about favors during the course of this season is if he can get in the game and make an impact quickly, the rest of his minutes are solid minutes. And what I mean by that is if he can get in and have a defensive stop, if he can get in and get a block, if he can get in and take a charge, if he can get in and get his floater going or his, you know, 12 is his free throw line jumper or his baseline jumper. Then he starts to float tonight. He didn't get the chance to get in a rhythm. And it was, it was just rough all night, 12 minutes, 12 minutes, no points, no rebounds, no assists. Oh, for one, not upset at him. He, it just wasn't his night. And, and so that's my answer to you about favors. He needs to get in the game and somehow Quinn in my mind has to run a play for him immediately where he can get that layup. He had to lay up the one shot that he missed. It was almost like if that goes in, it might change the whole complexion of the way he plays, but uh, just really tough for him. And Ning had nine minutes, no points, no rebounds, one assist, 0 for four. Those 21 minutes for those two combined really hurt the Jazz. Not upset at them. They're, they're our guys, and they're going to make up for it. But those minutes that, that, that Favors and Yang played tonight were really tough for the Jazz, and, and uh, we had to overcome some challenges uh, after they left the game. The big moments kind of, again, came from Gobert, I thought. He stepped up to when it mattered the most. It still amuses me how often teams will try to go to the lane and realize Gobert is there. And I think that actually kind of works with, with favors in a way. When he subs out, for some reason, they still have an idea that they could still drive a little bit better. And then they realize the first play back with Gobert in that it's not the same. And it's very blatant. I saw towards the end of the game, I think it was even, I think it was even Jackson, Reggie Jackson went and he, 
had a wide open almost layup. Gobert slid in and he stopped in his tracks, didn't know what to do and missed a layup. And there was no contact, not even like really too much of a, uh, of contend, contending of the shot, but he just didn't know what to do with Gobert there. And so Gobert proves to, to show why he's one of the best. He had 13 points, 20 rebounds. That's, again, 20 rebounds. That's huge. 80% shooting. His free throws were pretty good. He shot above 70%, which is more than we can ask. And so I, I don't know if we said it yet, but he just got nominated or he is the defensive player of the year. And this is another game that shows why he is. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Here you've spent some some beautiful minutes on Rudy Gobert, three-time defensive player of the year, and he showed it tonight. You're right. Players drive into the paint. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what type of superstar you are. That's tough. Paul George actually got into his chest a couple of times tonight and, and made made some tough shots. You got to give it to, to, to Paul George, and there are times that's going to happen. But more often than not, a player will get into the paint. And, uh, and have his shot altered or just get right out of the paint. So you're mm-hmm. right. I mean, 20 rebounds tonight for Gobert. For me, having watched, you know, 40 years of the NBA, there, there aren't that many games where a player gets 20 rebounds. Mm-hmm. And in the playoffs, he's playing at a high level. We know he's compensated really well. We know the Jazz have him locked up and are going to build a team around him and Donovan as best they can. He's something special. And to be a Jazz fan and to see him get his third defensive player of the year, tremendous. And I don't think he's done yet. I'd love to see him get a fourth and maybe be the first guy to ever get a fifth defensive player of the year. But you know what? We'll take three. Well, I would have taken two. I actually took one. But to have three, that's great. So we not only, as the Jazz have the defensive player of the year in Rudy Gobert, we have the sixth man in Jordan Clarkson. And let's call it like we see it tonight. Both those guys were extremely important to get this win. Exactly. Uh, Great points right there. Before we move on a little bit more, I wanted to kind of highlight something else he said about how Paul George kind of was getting into the the chest of Gobert. I thought game two last night, this game, we just watched was a lot more physical than game one. Maybe that was the Clippers game plan was, was kind of thinking, okay, let's be a little bit more physical because the jazz are so good. Technically let's get into them a little bit more physical, be a little bit more rough. And I thought who stepped at the plate to respond to that, that physicality was, um, was uh, Bogdan uh, Bodanovich. I thought that he was hustling. He played a really good game. He had 16 points, four rebounds, uh, one assist, but I think it goes beyond that. I, again, we, we always talk about kind of the impact beyond the stat. He hit some good threes. He did some good sh- moves, but I, overall he hustled, he shut down some players when he needed to, and he was just responsive to kind of the physical level of the game, which kind of sets a tone for when a team comes out looking to play hard and they're met with even a harder response. Yeah. You and I have talked throughout the season about the jazz and, can they match and use the right word, the physicality of other teams? Um, we don't necessarily have a Jay Crowder or a Morris like the Clippers have, or I don't know if the word's enforcer. We have tough, tough guys, though. And that's, that's what really swung this game tonight. You're, you're right. We, it's not an overt toughness. It's not something you're seeing time and again and grittiness but it's just playing within your game and being physical with the other team. So 
So great call on that. Let's uh, let's step away to uh, the other game tonight, which was the Bucks and the Nets. The Nets go the Nets go into Milwaukee with a 2-0 lead in that series. And I'm going to be one of those guys that has to eat some of my words tonight. I thought this actually might be a sweep, and mm-hmm. it's not now. As um, as the Bucks take a win in this series to make it a 2-1 series, 86-83 over the Nets. I'll repeat that score again because in today's NBA game, this is a rarity. 86-83, 86 points being the lowest point total of a team that has won in the playoffs so far this season. And it might even be one of the lowest point titles of a playoff win for a, a, you know, a year or two or, or, you know, definitely in that mix. So 86-83, the Bucks hand the Nets a loss. Really quickly on this, on this, as we look at some stats and, Maybe as you 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 look at this, what is fascinating is Chris Middleton had 35, Giannis had 33. That's 68. I'll say it again. That's 68 <laughs> points of the Milwaukee Bucks's Bucks 86 points. Chris Middleton with 35 and Ante Kupo with 33. Just an amazing performance by those two, as they quite frankly shut down the machine of Irving and Durant. It's even crazier that it's a low-scoring game, especially when you have Durant on one of the teams that scored 83 points. A big takeaway from this is both teams shot about 35% from from the floor. So a lot of shots were definitely still taken, just both teams seem to be missing. So it's it's weird when that happens because sometimes you feel like, oh, my, my shots aren't going in, but it went both ways tonight. And so it did take an effort from Middleton to come out and put up 35 points. He had 15 rebounds and uh, Giannis almost had the same 33 points, 14 rebounds, which was huge. Lopez didn't really play super great. He had 11 rebounds, but he didn't really score. And so it all came out to the end to the last shot. And I, I think Durant missed it. Right. And yeah. And you want to talk about that, about how, yeah, listen, PJ Tucker had a little bit of a, of a, of a battle tonight with, with Kevin Durant. He did a good job guarding him. At least he, he made his presence known. And on the last play, the Nets ran an okay inbounds play. They got it to the star of stars and that was Kevin Durant. And he had an okay look and he back rimmed it. It, it almost went almost in, went in. An, an, another, another debate that you can have as an NBA fan do you foul and put him on the line or do you let him try to tie up the game? More teams are electing to let the game play out, play tough defense like the jazz did the other night and let the guy try to make a difficult shot. So I can't argue with that. It's worked, but the other argument you could make would be, you know, why not foul him? But is it conditional? Do you think, I mean, obviously it is because we saw it happen the other night where the Clippers came down without calling a timeout. We didn't foul them. And, but in, in my viewpoint, it's like they have two all-stars and two of the greatest finishers of all time. Why, why not foul? Luckily we played enough de- defense to get Morris the shot, but in, in terms of the bucks, I feel like I would, I'd almost want to foul because Durant, maybe it's just how the game was going. Cause Durant shot about 30% all night. I still don't like the idea of Durant taking a shot with, with five seconds left. You're right. Most teams wouldn't allow it to happen. Really tough defense by PJ Tucker. He, he, he got into him early in the set before the ball came in and, and rattled Durant just a little bit, but Durant 
had a good look. I think what's surprising to me, and I said at the top of this little segment is 86-83, you might expect that from the Bucks being a good defensive team and Giannis being a defensive player of the year last year. So we know the Bucks can play defense, but the Nets can't play defense at all. I, I don't know how the Bucks can't stretch this out and be scoring over a hundred points on a night like tonight, but interesting that series now is two one. Uh, I'm still going to stick to uh, my thoughts on this one, that the Nets are going to get this series. I, I don't think the Bucks have the moxie to come back and win it. Um, it'd be fun if I was wrong to see that happen, but I think the Nets will regroup. I feel bad. I cannot believe I just said this. I feel bad that Harden is not on the floor. Um, we've been waiting uh, as NBA fans to watch these three play together and Harden, Irving, and Durant, and Harden just isn't quite there yet. And, and it's quite possibly that he's could, could maybe get out there and run and make it work and that the Nets are just hoping to get past this round so they can have him for the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, very true. It seemed like this might have just been like a, a not like a throwaway game, but a fluke game. I, I, I can see Brooklyn coming out and and playing their game again and not letting the net the I mean the Bucks have this close of a of a chance. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back uh, 24 hours and talk just quickly about the Suns and the Nuggets. The Suns go up 2-0 in their second round series with a very convincing win and just a just to pour it on third quarter against the Denver Nuggets, they, they end up winning 123 to 98. So it was a 25 point win. And uh, Spence, you and I, we've kept this podcast pretty light. We haven't really said much about some of our feelings about some players, but we'll let it be known. We're not big James Harden fans, even though we're fans of his game and how great he is. And yep, I'm going to say James Harden. And we're not big fans about Chris Paul. Oh, yeah. So so Harden's won because for so many years in OKC in Houston, he could throw daggers at our team, the Utah Jazz. Chris Paul is the other one that for years has plagued the Jazz in the Western Conference. Uh, and, and yet you got to give it to Chris Paul. The guy is a great game manager. He knows how to keep his team focused. And he just gets wins down the stretch, making this Phoenix Suns team look really, really good. He's really strategic. And it's almost like he's navigating the game kind of like Christopher Columbus. He's just kind of out there just like putting players in the best position to score, making the right shots, taking the right moves that kind of opens the game up. If you look at the two games um, the in, in the series that, between the two games, the, the Suns have averaged 20 more points than the Nuggets. So the Suns have been averaging about 122 points a game, and the Nuggets have averaged about 101 points a game, which is kind of shocking for the Nuggets because I feel like most NBA teams – I know we just talked about about how low the score was for the Bucks and for the Nets, but usually in the playoffs, you should expect a, around 110 points in a game almost by both teams. And so it's, it, it kind of just went in two different directions where the, the, the Suns went 10 points above the expected and the Nuggets went 10 points below the expected. And mm-hmm. that's not with, with Jokic playing bad. He's still putting up 23 points a night and he's still averaging about four or five assists and getting about 11 rebounds. So he's definitely there. It just doesn't seem like they're making or taking advantage of the times where the, the Suns 
Well, just, maybe it's just the Suns are just constantly on the up right now, and they could just fall down. I don't know. Listen, the Suns had uh, all five starters in double figures. Um, mm-hmm. You have Jay Crowder hitting timely shots. Chris Ball had 17 points and 15 assists. It's a guy who seems like he's been doing this forever. Listen, we're big Darren Williams fans. We watched Darren Williams be the point guard and the point guard of the future with the Jazz, and then he went to the Nets. And we often said, or at least I'll say, I said, Darren Williams is better than Chris Paul. And I think Darren Williams was picked third in the draft, and Chris Paul was picked fourth. And I love Darren, and we see him come back to Jazz games. I love him because he's he, he took us to a Western Conference Finals he was really good when he was with the Jazz. We stepped away on a little bit bad terms, but came back and, and has just shown great loyalty to the Jazz in his retiring days. But where's Darren Williams? Bless him. And now look at Chris Paul, who's still in the league, making a difference. Um, it just goes, uh, you just got to give it to Chris Paul for his longevity. And boy, I wish Darren Williams was still playing at the level that, that Chris Paul is playing because it's, it's pretty magical to see him doing it at this age. Yeah, it's hard, too, for Jokic to kind of handle both uh, Booker and Paul. And because if you look at the stats over the last two games, Jokic is getting 23 points. And then the next person after him is Porter Jr., who's only getting 13 points a game. But then you jump over the Suns and you got Devin Booker getting 19.5 points a game. You got Bridges getting 19.9 points a game. You got Chris Paul getting 19 points a game. And then you got DeAndre Anton getting 17 points. Point five points a game so it goes to what you just said where the Suns have a broader I don't know just kind of lineup where they're getting their all their players involved and that might just be the genius of Chris Paul where all their team teammates are getting about double figures and are getting points because there's a huge drop off from Jokic being 23 points down to Porter Jr. who's only getting about um, about 13 that's 10 point difference and then but all of the all the starters for the, the, the Suns are around 17 or, up or more. Yeah, you, you might have called it. It's, it's the genius of Chris Paul. Uh, when you get to be a, a, a veteran like he is and you've seen as many games as he's seen, you start to know how to manage a game, and it's just impressive. And so, you know, got to hand it to the Suns. Second best team in the NBA, right on the heels of the Utah Jazz. They go out, they're taking care of business and they're beating a good Denver team. It's quite possible that the loss of Jamal Murray is starting to show its effect on Denver. They had Will Barton come back the other night. He's been out for a while and really was a a clutch player for Denver um, during the regular season. And he was last year. And, And yet even Will Barton coming back doesn't help. You wonder where Denver would have been with Jamal Murray. The reality is about the NBA, if you're healthy, you can win. And the two most healthy teams in the NBA this season, the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns. Wow, that's interesting. That's an interesting stat. A little fun fact, um, Jokic, as we all know, is the MVP, and he is the sixth international MVP winner to, to be the MVP. So I know, like, you got Tim Duncan, you got Steve Nash, and you got Giannis, who all won multiple MVPs, but no – Jokic is the sixth inter- international MVP. Kind of cool, actually, if you really think about it, because you have Giannis winning in 2019, winning it again in 2020, and now Jokic winning in 2021. So the last three MVPs have all been players outside the United States. 
Yeah. And I don't know if our listeners know this about me and I'll just say it, but I spent six years in the NBA working at the league office. Um, the opportunity to, to really talk with some great minds and one of them being uh, the late great commissioner, David Stern. And David often said, this is the world's game. This is a global game. Now, Spencer, you're a big time soccer fan. <laughs> I am too. I get the beautiful nature of that game and it is the world's game, but pretty impressive how a game that's 60 years, 70 years young, really is making a statement on the world. And it just goes to show that players are great no matter where they come from. I think another MVP on that list might be Dirk Witzke. I can't remember if he won yep. an, an, an MVP, but, but just some, just some players are great. And, and you said it a few episodes back about the chitches in the league, you know, mm -hmm. whether that's, uh, you know, Doncic or, um, you know, Bogdanovich, um, Bogdanovich um, another Bogdanovich. Jokic, the other Bogdanovich, it's it's just kind of fun to see that. But there are great players around the world, and this is this is a global game. And uh, Jokic is just a. I watched him last night. Even even in defeat, you'd see him come down and just make shots where you go, wait, this guy is seven feet tall, and he brings the ball up, and he gets in and shoots a floater, or he's able to do a little jump hook shot, or he's able to pull back and hit a three. We got to give him credit. Let's let's talk about that just a little bit. So you have the MVP is Jokic, who's international. You have the Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert, mm -hmm. who's international. I'd Clarkson. love to say that Clarkson, Filipino to a degree, right, is yes. an international player. Um, we know Julius Randle um, from the U.S. So, you know, there's we've seen this in the past where these players are, come from an international background. It's just it's just amazing how great this game is around the world. True. So do you say Suns in five or do you say Suns in six? So the Suns have home court advantage, right? So here we go. Um, we now go uh, back. To, now we go to Denver. Denver's going to have to get both those in my mind, or this series definitely is, is just a five game series because I think the Suns come back. And uh, if they can, if, if they get I think they close it out at home. So I think that this is a five or six. I, I'll, I'll go five because I think the Suns can steal a game in Denver and, and, and take their heart out. All right. And I think so tomorrow the Hawks plays the Sixers. That'll be a good game. You've talked about it in the last podcast, kind of where that's at. I did want to talk to you really quick before we wrap up. Are you nervous for the – you talked about how a healthy team is usually the dominant team. Are you nervous for the Jazz health-wise? Because it looked like Bogdanovich – Landed on his ankle weird in the middle of the game tonight. And then Mitchell down the stretch, Paul George, don't know what was going on, but wasn't looking. I don't know where he was running, but ran right to Mitchell. Hopefully it was just a dead leg. I think it was just maybe a little Charlie horse or something, but it does get scary seeing these things happen, especially with Conley already hurt. I totally agree. I felt the same way when I saw Mitchell go down earlier in the game, he had done a pullback dribble and his right foot slid and turned yep. a little bit. So he, yeah, there was a little bit of a tweak and a twinge there. Uh, interesting, he did not come back in the game in the third quarter. He sat for quite a while True. in the third quarter. And you wonder if the ankle was hurting. And then when he bounced into Paul George and tripped a little bit and hit the ankle again, I am worried. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't think Mitchell's going to say much. And I actually think now the staff is like, <laughs> he's going to play if he can get out of bed, right? 
So, mm-hmm. but I, I do worry that it's going it, to, it's tweaked a little bit. And the, and the hard part about the playoffs now is you're really going every other night. It, it, you don't have even that extra day, but I think he'll be okay. Uh, the jazz play again, Sunday evening. Um, it'll be an earlier start time, you know, a couple hours earlier than normal, but at least he's not going back to back. And that is the beauty of the playoffs is that you can wrestle it. And the travel is not that far from Salt Lake to LA, but you hope that the next two days you can get Bogdanovich. Okay. After a little bit of a roll of his ankle and that Conley can come back. I know we've won two games without Conley, but I just don't see us making a deep playoff run to a championship without Conley. Yeah. So we play Saturday, Saturday at six 30. Oh, sorry about that. Yep. Saturday. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I, I hope Conley's back. It'll be interesting to see because since we've been winning without him, but I do like his kind of veteran fresh breath air when he's on the court. Um, hopefully he's back. I, I'm hoping the jazz can continue their momentum going into this, into LA. It's difficult without the fans. They can kind of bring a little bit more life to the jazz when needed, but Donovan's determination seems to almost be unstoppable. Yeah. Just, it's an amazing superstar. As we said last time, I think three or four times in the podcast, you have to call him a superstar. Uh, tonight uh, in the ESPN halftime show, Jay Williams was on and he said, Hey everybody, let's just call it like we see it. Donovan Mitchell is a superstar. So the superstar came to the rescue again tonight, you know, 35 points. This guy's just playing lights out. Most of that happened in the first half, but he uh, paced them down the stretch and, and made a couple of great passes and the jazz get, get the victory um, 117, 111, and, and just good to see it. Uh, and if you're a jazz fan, you got to feel good about it. If you're a Nets fan, you're up two one. If you're a Suns fan, you're up two Oh, um, you know, you, you've also got the 76ers who have a chance to go up, you know, 2-1 tomorrow night. We'll see how that goes and what the Hawks say. Great. All right. Well, I think we covered everyone and everything. Is there anything else you, you want to talk about? No, this is good. I just had a little dementia there. That's me being the dad on the podcast. I'd say the Jazz played on Sunday. They, they play I thought on they played Saturday. on Sunday too, but then I realized, <laughs> yeah, I'll bail you out on that one. It, it, you, sometimes it does go when they're traveling. It goes two games in between the – yeah. transfer home courts yeah but so whatever all right we'll, spence what we'll fun thanks dad thanks have a good night see you bye